Good morning. I can't think of any place I'd rather be this morning than worshiping the Lord and to be here at New Hope uh, with people we love and to know that we're all in prayer for John and his family and what's going on there. Jan and I feel very much at home here. We've been here enough times and been around you and really share that uh, being a part of God's family is uh, so encouraging and just such a blessing. I don't know if Caleb was playing that song intentionally, but during communion, that is leading us right into our sermon. Jesus, 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 how I trust you, how I love you. I want to trust you more and more. I've often thought about, uh, we study the life of Jesus, and we think about him a lot, but I think there's one aspect of that that hopefully today is going to help us take that to a different level and challenge our thinking in a way that would help each one of us, including me. And that is when we study the life of Jesus, there has to be something about him that you and I would say, that's the way I want to be. So I want to share with you just four things that perhaps would see what Jesus did and what he was like in his life. And then we can, each one of us, take that and see how that's going to be a pattern for us in the days ahead. I think our daily prayer should be this. God, I want to be like Jesus in the way I live. That's the premise for our sermon today. I want to be like Jesus in the way I live. Now, we know he's the only begotten son of God, divine, the savior of the world. We can't match him, but we certainly can desire to be like him. That's what his desire is for us. Our scripture text today is going to be taken from Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Now, this scripture is filled with so many things for us to think about how we're living. So you grab out of here what really touches your heart today, and then we'll go down and share a couple of things to highlight them. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> I know what you're thinking right now. A three-letter word, wow. <laughs> how, how do I grasp this? Where do I take something out of that and let that be a guide and a pattern and encouragement for me in my life? I think when we walk with Jesus, we're challenged to honor him what we say and do as well as what we think. We're challenged to be completely united with Christ, one with him. Our desire is that everything we do will help people see Jesus living in and through us. I recently read something that was called a Monday morning prayer. I think we can all identify with this. Dear Lord, so far today, I've done all things right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or even indulgent. I'm really happy about that. But in a few minutes, God, 
I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Ever have a prayer like that? At exactly now, Lord, it's perfect. <laughs> but how do I keep this going through the day? How do I keep being what you want me to be and not mess it all up, but just, just be like you? Just be me, but just be someone that brings honor and glory to you. Our scripture reminds us that some of the qualities of Jesus are like this. Love, tenderness, and compassion. How you doing? Love, tenderness, and compassion. And the Apostle Paul says, think about Jesus and try to be like-minded. I think that means it should be the desire of our heart to understand what would Jesus be thinking in this situation. He informed us in Luke 19.10, a very simple purpose for his living. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's it. His whole life was intended to provide something that would bring us back to God, take care of our sin, and give us a new hope for the world. So Jesus' thinking was always, what can I do to make things better for others? Think about that when you begin every day. What can I do today, God, to make something better for others? He reminds us in Luke 6.31, do to others as you would have them do to you. We know that, but applying it sort of slips away. Our text also reminds us that he was a humble man. He was obedient. Now, we don't want to just know more about Jesus. We want to know how to walk with Jesus and have Jesus walk with us. So this morning, we're going to look at four things that would give you some highlights on what I believe would characterize the life of Jesus. Number one, I think Jesus realized that he was on earth to represent the Heavenly Father. Why are you and I on earth as Christians? I would identify with that completely and hope you will too. We are here to represent the Heavenly Father. Present God to the world. Let God be known to those who are around us. I love how Matthew 1.23 begins. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if God's with us, and Jesus made that possible, don't you think we ought to go through this life wanting people to know God? It's that simple. Everybody you meet, you go, uh, yeah, you look a little happy, you look a little cranky. It doesn't matter. I want you to know God. Whoever you are, I want you to know God. The birth of Jesus was heralded by the angels with good news that the Savior would bring glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. That's our goal. That's the, the angels stated it so beautifully. Jesus brought a new promise, a new hope to the world. You know how I many people walk around this world and they really don't have a hope. They don't feel a sense of promise, something out there that I believe that can be different for me if I just would trust, and they just are empty-handed. The Apostle John reminds us in John 1.14 that when Jesus came into the world, he showed us the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Not too long ago, I was preaching a sermon on this, and I looked at this verse many times, and I thought, there's a word here that I tend to go over quickly. Let's stop and look at that word. It's the word full. He wasn't half full of grace and mercy. He wasn't three-quarters full. He was totally full, a fullness that spilled out to us. And when you don't think you have enough grace and mercy to give to others, just pull the love that Jesus had through your life and tell God that's what you still want, to be there to represent the Heavenly Father. Jesus also told us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. 
from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Wouldn't it be great when uh, someone meets you and you talk with them that day, and you walk away and they say to a friend, you know, when I'm with them, I just feel the presence of God. There's something about that person, there's something about that individual who lives next door to me, who works in this office, who is my friend, and there's just something about them that when they leave, I just feel the presence of God. I feel close to God. It makes me want God more. Those who walked with Jesus during his time on earth were clearly made aware that he did everything to honor his Father and bring glory to him. I love the words, but they're tough ones. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the goal of our life. It's not just about me. I want the world to see God through me. Yeah, we're human, but once we become a child of God, we have that extra gift of the Spirit of God within us. In the world, but not of the world, Jesus reminded us. In the world, but not of the world, because we're making a difference. He says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He is there for us 24-7. You know why? Because he wants to be. Don't ever wonder, when you want God, he always wants you, every single time. You say, well, I'm too bad, I've done this and that. It doesn't matter. When you want God, he always wants you. The house lights dimmed. The concert was about to begin. The mother returned to her seat and discovered that her child was missing. Suddenly, the curtains parted. The spotlights focused on that impressive Steinway on the stage. In horror, the mother saw her little boy sitting at the keyboard, innocently picking out Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. At that moment, the great piano master made his entrance, quickly moved to the piano, and whispered in the little boy's ear, don't quit, keep playing. And leaning over, Paderewski reached down with his left hand and began filling in a bass part. Soon his arm reached about around the little child to the other side, he began running an obligato. Together, the old master and the young novice transformed what could have been a frightening situation into a wonderfully creative experience. The audience was so mesmerized, they couldn't recall what else the master played that night, but they all talked about the classic arrangement of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. I think perhaps that's exactly the way God is with us. We're sort of going through life. We're playing a Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. We're doing the things that we can, and we forget that the great master, the creator of light, says, don't quit. It's okay. You just do what you can do. He reaches his arms around us. What we're doing, he touches it so that it has more of a value than we'd ever have if we were there all by ourselves. The next time you're wondering if you're adequate, just hear the voice of God saying, don't quit. Keep playing. Keep on living. You're doing okay representing me because you want to. Don't ever lose the desire to represent me to the world. Don't quit. I like to begin each day. I try it every day of my life to say this, God, I know that nothing's going to happen to me today that you and I can't handle. So what do you want me to do? I'm a great list maker. I plan. I think through things. And I desire when one project's finished, how the next one's going to work out. I'm all there. And sometimes I forget to say, you know, God, how do you feel about this plan? How do you feel about what's in my heart? So I know nothing's going to happen to me that you and I can't handle, but I have to learn to trust you more so that I can represent you to the world. Our second concern when we're walking with Jesus is simply this. 
I believe Jesus had a real compassion for people. Not fake, not put on. I believe from the heart of Jesus, there was a real compassion for people. He made it clear that his heart's desire was to meet the needs of people. He not only went out of his way to heal people and feed the hungry, but he showed a personal interest and concern for them. I think one of the most heart-touching scenes in all the Bible is when the sisters of Lazarus sent word to Jesus their brother Lazarus was very ill and to the point of death. It's recorded, as you well know, in John 11. When Jesus arrives in Bethany, he goes to where they buried Lazarus, and there we read the shortest verse in the Bible. Most of you have memorized that because it is the shortest. But it's not the shortest in meaning and not the shortest in impact because of two things that happen. You know what those two words are, don't you? Let's say them together. Jesus wept. Now, you'd say, Jesus actually cried? Jesus had a, a sense of compassion? That is deep compassion. The Son of God wept because his friend was ill and had passed away. But do you remember what the crowd said? When as soon as that happened, the crowd saw that compassion, the crowd said, behold how he loved him. You see, we shouldn't have to tell the world that we love them. We shouldn't have to tell the world we have a compassion for them. We care about them. We want them to do well. We want them to have honor and glory. They could just see that in the way we live, the way we talk, the way we treat them. So we have a real compassion for people. We're reminded that in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was from the heart of God. That's what we're carrying on in our life. We don't want you to miss eternity. We don't want you to live in sin. We don't want you to have struggles. We want you to know there's a better way of life, and if we can help you, that's what we want to do. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for one's friends. Years ago in a seminary campus, a New Testament professor was lecturing on the parables. This professor was known for his strictness. He often penalized students even if they were tardy. After spending a fair amount of time on the parable of the Good Samaritan, he posted a notice on the board telling the students that that day's class was being moved to the other side of the campus. On the only route to the new classroom, he staged a person who appeared to be drunk, lying on the ground, begging for help. To the professor's amazement, not one of the students stopped to help this man. They were all in too big of a hurry to get to the class, lest they be considered tardy. And they walked right by someone who appeared to be drunk and crying out for help. And they were more concerned. And the professor made a comment to them, don't you think I of all people have understood if you practice being the good Samaritan on your way to where the class was meeting? I think sometimes we're so with a vision for what we want, what we're going to do, how we're going to look good and what we take care of, we forget the cries of the people around us and how they need us, how we can express to them the very spirit of the living God. Colossians 3.12 challenge us, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, listen carefully, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, God doesn't expect us to go rushing through life so fast we don't hear the cries of those around us. Take time to give a hug, a handshake, a smile, a kind word. A number of years ago, a train thundered across the United States. Passengers in a sleeper car were disturbed by a baby's constant crying. Finally, in desperation, one of the other passengers 
called out, can't you keep that child quiet? If I were its mother, I'd certainly stop it from disturbing everybody else. Then from the sleeping berth, where the baby was crying, a man's voice answered, I'm sorry, I'm doing my best. The child's mother can't quiet the baby. She's in a coffin in the baggage van at the end of the train. Like that irate passenger, we sometimes speak hastily, criticize someone, challenge them to how they live, when we should have bit our tongue and just listened to find out what's going on, to hear their cry, their concern, and know why it's that way. A compassion, it's a gift. It's a real gift. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We say, that's good. Then we go rushing on through life. Too busy to rejoice, too busy to mourn. I got enough taking care of me. No, you don't. Remember, when there's a need, did you feel the voice of God calling you to meet? He will always give you more time, more energy, and more money to meet that need. That's the way our God is. You can do it. But first of all, we have to have the desire we want. So he represented the Father and did it so beautifully. He had compassion for people. Thirdly, I believe Jesus wanted people to turn from sin, really wanted them to turn from sin and live a godly life. I loved when John the Baptist was preaching there at Jordan, and here comes the Son of God. And John the Baptist is trying to tell the crowd who this is that's coming, what this is all about. Finally, he stops his message, and he says to the crowd, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think oftentimes we have to stop and just tell ourselves, I need to take a break right now and just focus on Jesus. I need to stop and just think about him. I'm getting too involved with what I'm doing and the things in my life. I need to just find a moment of time to say, stop, stop. Take your eyes, put them on Jesus. Think about him as the savior of the world. That's why you are here. That's your purpose for living. You know what the real prayer of Jesus was when he stated in John 17, this whole idea of concern for the lost and living in the godly life? He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You and I have a goal to make life easier for people to find the way out of sin. Not to criticize them for being in sin. Anybody can do that. Isn't it awful the way the world lives in sin and we can talk about this one and that one? That's, that's not our role. That's a known thing. But we have to find a way to help them get out of sin. If Christians don't do that, who will? Name any organization on the face of the earth that you believe would do a better job of helping people get away from their sin and living a godly life than Christians. God doesn't have a plan B. We're plan A, and plan A is all there is. We are God's voice to the world to help them get out of sin and live the godly life, or they may never know it. When Jesus gave the Great Commission and told us to go and teach and baptize, he ended that by saying, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That tells me when we want to help people find a way out of sin, we have to believe that what we're going to do is going to be victorious. It can happen. I hear Christians so many times, they, they do something, but then they sort of give up with faith and hope. They say, well, I'm still telling about Jesus, but I don't think it's going to do any good. I can guarantee you, if you've come to that point, it won't do any good. You have to say, I'm going to keep telling them about Jesus, because I believe someday they're going to turn to him. Someday they're going to go to church, they're going to know about Jesus, they're going to let him be their savior. I believe this is going to work. 
Christians too often give up on helping people find their way out of sin and to live the godly life. So I ask a question to all of us. How concerned are we about those who live in sin? How much time and effort do we put into that concern? Do we have some names we pray specifically for and ask God, use me to help that individual. Use that name. Come to you. Get out of their sin and find the way of Christian life. Help me not to just criticize them and judge them, but God, use me in some way that they will know. Ask God to show us how to witness to them. God, give me the words to speak. Give me the expression I need to have on my face when I talk to them. God, I want them to make it. I want them out of sin and living the godly life. How much do we show kindness to them when they don't show kindness to us? To love the unlovable, that's what God did. I like Paul in Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentiles, and then it goes to the entire world. We'd be interested in the salvation of others if we were really serious about it. What a personal challenge in the third chapter of Colossians. He says, and over all these virtues, he's talking about the challenge we have for who we are. He says, and over all these virtues, put on what? Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You have to say in your own mind, I'm going to love you from the very moment I start talking to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I believe that God's love working through me can make a difference in your life. And if God was willing to use me in some way to help you find salvation, I will give him forever glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, I'm free and belong to no one, but I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. It's a good verse to memorize, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. I made myself a slave to, to this to everyone, to win as many as I possibly can. And yet, that slips away so easily from our mind because we're so busy living the Christian life and criticizing those who are in sin that we don't help them get out of it and live the godly life. It should be our joy as individuals. Can you imagine when you see that person, they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, I want him as my personal Savior. You say, Lord, my heart is just skipping a beat right now. I remember spending time with them and talking, talking about you to them. I remember them not even knowing who you are. I, I remember taking the time to pray with them. I know I, I had a small part, Lord, but I'm, I'm just so grateful that you did use me in some way. And now let's find another one. Let's find another one, another one, another one, God. Not for my glory, just because I don't want people to miss eternity with you. Yes, we show compassion. We care about those that are in sin, and we want to represent the Father. But I believe the last quality we saw in Jesus was he looked forward to eternity with his heavenly Father. Life wasn't easy for him, you remember? You can just follow his whole life. They spit on him, they laughed at him, they did everything to just make it difficult for him. And one time he even asked the heavenly Father, is there any other way? Do I have to take this cup and drink it? Can you, is there another way? The pain says, I, 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 nevertheless, Father, your will be done in my life. Life isn't always easy for Christians, right? Sometimes it's a challenge to us. But as soon as you start thinking that eternity is the goal, not this day, not this life, but eternity is our goal, it makes all the difference in the world. I love Jesus when he said in John 7, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. His prayer in John 17, 
was that we would be where he is and be there always. When Timothy was challenged by life, the Apostle Paul was thinking about getting older and coming to the end of his life. He wrote these words to Timothy. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now, I love that word. Those little words that the Holy Spirit puts in there that just that lets you see there's something going to happen just beyond it. He says, now, there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed his appearing. Can you imagine living every day and just saying, Lord, I don't care what day I go home. I don't care what is going to happen. Every day I live, I know someday I am going to spend eternity with you. I just want this day to be meaningful, but beyond this day, I'm looking forward to heaven. When we think about everything we do is keeping that in mind. It brings a certain joy to our life. Mary Hollingsworth tells a story about the noted director of biblical epics, Cecil B. DeMille. When they began working on the movie Ben-Hur, DeMille talked to Charlton Heston, the star of the movie, as well as you know, about the all-important chariot race at the end. He decided Heston should actually learn to drive the chariot himself, not use anyone else in his place, rather than just using a stunt double. Heston agreed to take chariot driving lessons to make the movie as authentic as possible. Learning to drive a chariot with horses four abreast, however, was no small matter even for Charlton Heston. After extensive work and days of practice, Heston finally returned to the movie set and reported to Mill with these words, I think I can drive the chariot all right, Cecil said Heston, but I'm not sure at all I can actually win the race. Smiling, DeMille said, Heston, you just stay in the race. I'll make sure you win. <laughs> Why can't I remember that living the Christian life? Why do I even doubt the fact that you and I can be effective walking with Jesus? that we can accomplish that task of being Christ-like. We can accomplish the task because all we have to do is just keep learning to live the life. We don't have to worry about winning the race. We don't have to worry about every victory. We're just there to do our best, and the one who's in charge is going to see there is a victory. It's going to end okay. You don't have to turn to the end of the book. I know what's going to happen if you stay faithful to the Lord. You're going to be in eternity with the Heavenly Father, and there'll be many there with you. Our true joy is truly understanding that walking with Jesus is a lot easier than we tend to make it. We get it too complicated. We're thinking about all the kind of things out there, and all it is to desire Jesus, know about him, follow his life, and want to be like him. What did he do? That's what I want to do. Everything else becomes secondary. When we forget that, we're in big trouble. There's a little story I came across years and years ago. I don't know, I've probably used it 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times in sermons. But I love it, and I'm going to share it again. If you've heard it before, pretend like it's the first time. There was a little boy who wanted to meet God. He knew it was a long trip to where God lived, so he packed his suitcase with Twinkies and bottles of soda, and he started on his little journey. When he'd gone about three blocks, he met an old man. He was sitting in the park just staring at some pigeons. The boy sat down next to him and opened his suitcase. He was about to take a drink from his soda when he noticed the old man looked hungry. So instead, he offered him a Twinkie. The old man gratefully accepted it and smiled at him. His smile was so incredible that the boy wanted to see it again. 
So he offered him a bottle of soda. Once again, the old man smiled for the little boy. The boy was delighted. They sat there all afternoon, eating and smiling, but they never said a word. As it grew dark, the boy realized how tired he was and got up to leave. Before he'd gone more than a few steps, he turned around, ran back to the old man and gave him a hug. The old man gave him the biggest smile ever. When the boy opened the door to his own house a short time later, his mother was surprised by the look of joy in his face. She asked him, what did you do today that made you so happy? He replied, I had lunch with God. Before his mother could respond, he added, you know what? He has the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. Meanwhile, the old man, also radiant with joy, returned to his home. His son was stunned by the look of peace on his face and asked, Dad, what did you do today that made you so happy? He replied, I ate Twinkies in the park with God. Before his son responded, he added, you know, he's much younger than I expected. <laughs> Too often, we underestimate that power of a touch, a smile, kind word, listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around, to turn a life around just because we care. People come into our lives for a reason. They come into it for a season or a lifetime. So we need to make a commitment, don't we? I can do this. I don't want to quit. I want to walk with Jesus, and I want people, when they see me, to somehow see hope, see Jesus, see kindness, see love. I want people to believe in this world. They can make it, and I will be there for them. Represent God in your daily life. Have a true compassion for people. Do everything you can to teach them how to get out of sin and live for the Lord and how to be prepared for eternity. I don't believe it gets any better than that to live your life. So we raise our voice to the Lord. Here's what we say today. Here am I, Lord, all of me, warts and all. Use me. I want to be like you. Philippians 1.21 For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I live for Jesus but I also want to live for you. That's our message to the world, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much in your world, your word that challenges us, so much that gives us hope and gives us trust. But Father, today we feel significant in your sight because you created us. You gave us the opportunity to know about your son. We've made him Lord of our life. We're trying to do the best we can in the world. And we want the world to see you through us. We believe that can work. We believe that will happen. We believe that you can and you will and you desire to work through us. So may we honor and glorify you in all we say and do. May your will be done in our lives. And may we never quit and give up on you because you have never quit and given up on us. Thank you, God, for loving us forever and ever and ever. 
And God, today our hearts speak out with one voice. We love you, God. We want to walk with Jesus every day. This is our prayer in the beautiful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.